0: Ryan Stan here with ASEP Frontline. Um, I am leaving. this is gonna be my last recording here at the Emerald Coast Conference, um, but good to be back in person and talking to one of my, in fact, one of my long time ASEP friends, but actually one of the most long time for the uh, Emerald Coast Conference, at that point was the SEC Conference. Really got me into a lot of things uh, with ASAP, Had a lot of conversations over grilled oysters down here and, um, uh, you know, and now, um, Uh, ECC uh, golf champions uh, with Dr. Michael Girardi, um, who I did not realize until yesterday is a hella golfer, and not to mention a putter, hey, and there's another, there's Pat. Pat is the number three, one of the three members, other members of the championship team as he flew by after a meeting. Um, But um, your your talk today, in fact, you just wrapped it up, caught the back end of it, Um, And, interestingly, it's a theme we've had in the conversations here at the Cross Conference with Behavioral Health Management. Um, We've talked to Dr. Goodlow with regard to um, hyperactive delirium with agitation. Um, We've talked to Dr. Cirillo about managing uh, behavioral health crisis in the emergency department. Uh, But this is something you have always been involved with um, and really advocated for now creating and looking into the idea of how do we better uh, facilitate and how do we better Cater to our behavioral health patients in the emergency department, and is it time to even carve out that skill set to advance the knowledge base uh, of uh, some of our physicians to help manage those patients. So thanks for joining me here on the front line.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Always good to be here with you. And the listeners need to know that you won long drive, and when you hit the ball, like you did yesterday, it sounded like a howitzer, I mean, you just exploded off your club face. So k- kudos to you. It was quite fun playing with yesterday.
0: I, I, I try. To, I, I, my feeling is I try to swing out of my shoes uh, at any given moment and uh, take advantage of an intact lower back while I can. Uh, it probably won't be
1: that many more years before I, I'm going to pull the Tiger Woods and not be able to swing that hard. Become the bionic golfer. The other thing I'd like to say, Ryan, is that it's good to see you assume a leadership role in the college, on the board. I hope you're enjoying it. I know that we enjoy having you there. So uh, congratulations on that election of a couple of years ago, but also uh, your service right now. Thank you
0: well and then not to mention you didn't tell me you guys didn't tell me about this dang pandemic thing <laughs> yes. you may, have, may, have may have rethought it, it but um, you know go, going into it not realizing we are about to step into four five months afterwards into a pandemic for two years it's made it a very interesting transition for uh, my class of uh, the board of directors as well as the, uh, the class right after mine coming in during a time where we uh, went years without any in-face meetings but it's, it's very interesting, and it is great to be back here. In fact, last year, this meeting was the first meeting where we recorded again uh, in-person, face-to-face, uh, after the pandemic, so it's really good to be here.
1: Yeah, last year was one of the first in-face meetings in the country for emergency medicine, and then we had the Scientific Assembly in Boston. And it's amazing how quickly, though, you can catch up with friends mm-hmm. and, and colleagues, and it, it almost feels normal again once you start getting out there and seeing everybody.
0: You pick up right where you left off, and not to mention that uh, golf is like the perfect sport for social distancing and moving air. So, you know, that's, uh, every conference should have some of that involved. Um, give us a little bit of background on uh, the discussion that uh, you just had.
1: Listen, there's a behavioral health crisis, and Dr. Cirillo and the ASAP board, everybody have been talking about it. We created the Coalition on Psychiatric Emergencies in 2015 but it, it's a flywheel that's gaining in size and revolutions. In other words, there seems to be traction for not only from emergency physicians concerned about the onslaught and the tsunami of behavioral health crises in all age patients, but also emergency psychiatrists are, are quite uh, worried about it. And there's other especially social workers, licensed social workers, psychologists, uh, you name it, hospital administrators, because the, um, just the burden of these patients And the inhumane ways they're being treated because of lack of resources and follow-up or inpatient beds has really created a crisis. So we've acknowledged there's a crisis, and Dr. Cirillo even had some publications on his presentation the other day which highlighted that. What I focused on today was the fact that, okay, it's not just the bed issue. It's also who's stabilizing these patients and treating them. And right now, a lot of these behavioral health patients are being, the really agitated ones, are being restrained with physical restraints rather than maybe uh, de-escalation and or other pharmacologic means that don't over-sedate them. And what we're finding out that is, uh, not only is it the initial sedation or trying to vet what is going on, it's starting treatment earlier. And so that requires a level of expertise. And if you, what we talked about today in my presentation was what is the training background for emergency physicians, for psychiatrists, for pediatric, pediatric emergency specialists, et cetera, in behavioral health emergencies. Now, if you look at what's required for our core content from uh, ABEM or you know, ACGME for uh, emergency medicine residencies, it's in there. There's three pages of different requirements, but there's only, because we have to have knowledge in so many different areas of medicine, it, it, You know, if you look at the core content of a certain exam, it's only 2%. So people kind of defer to psychiatry because the su- suicidality is a big risk. And I think people are hesitant to get involved on a disposition level without psychiatrists being involved because of concern about the patient, concern about uh, bad outcomes, concern about litigation, concern about inexperience, and maybe lack of enough training. So what I was uh, espousing today was maybe, let's talk about maybe creating a subspecialty of emergency psychiatry. And I'm not the only one talking about this. The American Association of Emergency Psychiatry, which is made up of, by the way, emergency physicians and psychiatrists, and other uh, clinical uh, personnel who deal with um, these type of patients, such as nurses and psychologists and s- licensed therapists, et cetera. But let me go back. So the AEP is going to run point on this initially to ask people like me to explore what would it take to create a sp- subspecialty. We know what it was, took to create toxicology, sports medicine, f- uh, clinical informatics, my favorite pediatric emergency medicine. But we all started in the same place. You identified a need. You had a population that was not getting optimal care because the resources weren't there and or the expertise wasn't getting to the right places at the right time. So the specialty was created, and I, when I joined my first practice out of the military as a pediatric emergency specialist and a general emergency physician, I was kind of like the champion and the expert for my own staff to come around and me help them. In other words, we weren't creating a separate pediatric emergency department just for pediatric emergency specialists. No, we were upgrading the care knowledge for everybody taking care of those patients in the general emergency department. Likewise, in this case, if we could get champions or emergency psychiatry trained subspecialists, then they can go to all these general emergency departments and upgrade the care and the skills and comfort for emergency physicians. Uh, de-escalation um, modalities, uh, m- pharmacologic uh interventions, uh, et cetera, so that the overall the all, uh, rising tide raises all boats, and, um, and I think that this is something we have to talk about. So you can't just create an emergency psychiatry subspecialty. I talked with leaders of ABEM, and uh, they said, uh, Mike, a thing you may want to do is look about starting a, getting a focused practice designation, FPD, focused practice designation. And what this is is like creating a case for a subspecialty down the road. Are there physicians, psychiatrists, emergency physicians who may want to dedicate part of their career to this? Is there a scientific base or scientific knowledge uh, foundation that exists that's unique to that area of subspecialty? People actually debated this 50 years ago with emergency medicine as a specialty, remember? You know, Dr. Rosen and other people who helped create the specialty told you that we can't get off the ground until we could show that there's a scientific knowledge base unique to emergency medicine, which sounds crazy at this point in life, right? But if you break down what emergency psychiatry involves, I think that there is a core knowledge base that could stand on its own. Right. And so, and so, and then what we do is we find out if there's people interested, and I'll and I'll be quiet. I just you let me ramble for ten minutes.
0: Oh that's okay. You haven't been on a podcast with Dr. Goodlow. He's he's, he's, <laughs> okay. he's great at it. He's he's, he's, he's guy's very eloquent. Um, but the uh, with it's clear, you know, with this we found that there's a significant demand. Um, if, the, for those that have listened to the podcast with Dr. Cirillo, uh which posted last week, uh, recorded earlier today, but posted last week with regard to uh, when you're listening to this now, um, he you know he talks about that you know basically one in seven adults uh, with a uh, significant behavioral health diagnosis, about one in eight uh, youth adolescents um, with the same you know there is a huge demand, and of course not not to mention that. Uh, comorbidities don't work in a vacuum um, and even with um, other medical conditions uh, the behavioral health component can be a significant contributor and um, not only the fact is are those landing in our emergency department with growing numbers and also still from the strain of a of not large enough not a number of bed a large enough number of beds or resources for each of those patients but also there's they're spending a significant amount of time in our emergency departments and that is one of the challenges as we spend is is that time well spent are they making progress towards stabilization improvement in their condition and uh, health and wellness uh, or or is it just time wasted while we wait for a bed to become available and then treat them at some remote time two and three weeks later potentially and I think that is, is legitimate you know that, that speaking of Dr. Goodlow Dr. Goodlow and I took advantage of the EMS Subspecialization because of our uh, area of interest uh, you know the PZM of course being the most prominent uh, likely of, of emergency medicine because of the, the pediatric um, uh, volume within the emergency departments and subspecialization of saying uh, emergency physician plus you know emergency physician plus extra time and focus on a certain area to get to gather a little bit higher level of expertise and I think that is someplace that uh, with behavioral health and psychiatry is is a clear area that we could make improvement and dig deeper because as Dr. Cirillo mentioned in our discussion, um, you know, many physicians are concerned and worried and nervous about uh, adjusting, implementing, initiating um, behavioral health medications because of a a lack of familiarity. Though, uh, you know, we deal with medications around broad spectrum of areas outside behavioral health all the time, and so there is a lot of opportunity there, and, and I, I feel like you, you're seeing it the same way.
1: I am, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I've, you triggered something in my mind that when diving into this area of um, specialty even more, I'm learning that a lot of these behavioral health patients actually have care plans, mm-hmm. and the, their psychiatrist incurs them to have a care plan. If we get, were to become more familiar with their care plans because of electronic medical records and have access to them, we can initiate treatment sooner. And that's one of the things we talked about in my lecture yesterday was we were hesitant to start antipsychotic drugs. We're hesitant to start definitive treatment because of unfamiliarity or just lack of knowledge or lack of training. But I think if there's a care plan in the EMR that will help guide us, I think our colleagues will be more willing to initiate that treatment and shorten the course of the crisis. But I like your, also the, sub, the Emergency Physician Plus, and what I'm lobbying for, you heard me today ask the audience, I said, if you know of people or yourself that are interested to be Emergency Physician, what you call Plus, but a champion for emergency psychiatry and work with us to help do some of the work to beef up this focused practice designation application, I think we'll be well on our way. And I think it's gonna involve the specialty of psychiatry, pediatrics, maybe family practice, but we also have to get the cooperation and buy-in from different boards. I think the American Board of Emergency Medicine's uh, medical, uh, executive board has already met and discussed it and w- wants to learn more. And they've gotten back to me, and we have to have follow-up meetings to discuss what more, and I have an idea what they need, but it's, I'm gonna need help. Uh, for instance, um, and then the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology will have to be approached, mm-hmm. and hopefully they'll be warm and receptive to the idea. Um, but one of the things we're gonna need to know is who out there, your listeners, who would be interested in being a champion and/or just being interested and supportive of creating a section on emergency psychiatry in, in ASEP? Who would be interested in getting on a phone call occasionally and learning what they may be able to do to help drive this, this forward? And what is the number? Who are the number of residents and/or uh, career emergency physicians who would like to be maybe create a new niche for themselves, a new um, role for themselves? both uh, research-wise, ac- uh, administratively, as a faculty member, as the expert in your multi-hospital group. I, you know, just the possibilities are innumerable. So I'm, I'm interested, and I appreciate you having me on this podcast so I can at least put it out there to say um, we're moving along, and we, we, need, we need interest, we need support.
0: Well, the nice thing, too, is, is within ASAP we're creating uh, even a, a transition, you know, you have the this, this section which is 100 members to start it off, uh, but looking at even now, uh, interest groups for those that don't necessarily uh, want the volume or have the volume for a section, but uh, still a very important thing to those that are involved. Um, you know, the idea of interest group transitioning to section and, and moving uh, moving forward, I mean, because it sounds like there is a lot, there's a, of course a huge need, huge demand from our
1: patients. Yeah, well look at toxicology section, then it was, Create a subspecialty and then EMS is one of the largest uh, sections. Ultrasound. Remember they they were fairly radical. They, they I mean they were, in a good sense they were not going to take no for an answer to expand our as part of our practice and then now we have a, a, a neat, uh, ACGME fellowship yeah. in ultrasound.
0: And and we've seen how successful those have been to advance our practice and as as we know that uh, our our departments, our profession is the landing spot for a lot of these folks, especially in behavioral health crisis, and how can we serve them better? So what are the next steps uh, as you discuss and work with these other uh, board organizations and um, you know, working with your um, uh, focus? Uh, ASAP businesses? is
1: really key because they represent our specialty and our, and our, and our membership in the practice and the patients. They really do. Um, I know that there's a strategic plan which we want us to focus on the emergency physician a lot more than we have, even though I think they have. But I think that um is particularly well poised and positioned to help support a, a, a really foundational uh, initiative like this, and has the respect in, of other organizations to help um, convene meetings and convene the interested parties to talk things through to, to make sure that this moves forward.
0: All right? And do you have a, uh, any specific? Uh, call, you mentioned it a little bit for those out there uh, that may be listening, uh, the thousands that are out there listening, uh, that, that uh, may see this as a need, as a niche, as a fire, as a spark, as a
1: whatever you want to call it for them. That's why I'm here talking to you, I hope so. I know that people, uh, when I was, you know, in your practice, right, when you're uncomfortable with something, the only way to get over that is to, to take every one of those patients until you're comfortable. Nosebleeds for me were always very interesting. <laughs> and so, what I, in a, in, a, in a negative sense, so I started taking epistaxis patients as much as possible so I became comfortable. Anything like that. So, if behavioral health to you is a real um, burr under your saddle or it really seems to really affect you and your psyche seeing how these patients are treated and you know, know things can be better, then you're the person we're looking for. We're looking for hundreds of people because we're going to need to know are there people that will we'll make an FPD, focused Practice Designation, worthwhile to give you the credibility to go into a med exec committee or into your C-suite and say, these are the kind of things that are being done around the country, um, this is what I'm learning about, and this is what I know works, and you could be the champion to really change the entire experience for people in crisis.
0: So how can folks get in touch with you um, if they want more information, want to reach out? Check things
1: out. Yeah, yeah as usual, uh, mgerardi at asap.org, M-G-E-R-A-R-D-I at asap.org. I also give you my cell phone. I don't care. 973-464-3351. 973-464-3351. Just call during reasonable hours, which means between 8 a.m. and 2 a.m. <laughs> uh, the <they're> reasonable. <laughs> Eastern time. Yeah, yeah. The, no, or, 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 or text me and say, hey, Mike, this is uh, so-and-so. I'd love to talk, hear more, you know. That's always good too. I like a text and I can set up a time to talk.
0: Yeah, and, and, and this is not the first time you've put your cell phone on there, so I guess it hasn't been abused too bad so it, it, far. So. It,
1: it isn't, you know, even with patients, I give them my contact information. It is such a, uh, assuages their fears and uh, they feel that they're not left out there alone. But I know that a lot of my colleagues don't agree with that, but I don't worry about it. But, you know, I feel like I'm gonna carry the torch for this for a little while. I think I have to, um, I've been invested in watching this problem I we created the coalition on psychiatric emergencies during my presidency and then Tony Surreal got elected to the board and he was going to let it go he was like a dog with a bone on this issue and that's great to see and there are more people more people like him popping up so um, all you out there <laughs> when things really vex you if you're not trying to solve the problem you're whining you know so if you're complaining about it but not helping solve it but it, this is a low-hanging fruit, I think. If we have, it's a num- matter of numbers and interest.
0: And looking to develop that new subspecialty specialty, uh, potentially within emergency medicine, uh, of emergency uh, the psychiatry. Uh, not to mention, a heck of a golf instructor, and uh, was it a last year's champion for the couples and the runner-up this
1: year? Uh, yeah, is that a sore you know, subject?
0: There's that's the that's the.
1: I. Well, it's called the divorce open husband-wife championship. My wife and I won last year. This year we were uh, we, we didn't place in first or second so but I'm still married.
0: That's <laughs> so, good so that worked out well now we are the champions from down here. in the Emerald Yes Coast I go Conference. home with another
1: championship and that's not going to sit well either so where was your game on Sunday out here but anyway. Um, can we talk about that uh, acute agitation management? Real yeah quickly? absolutely. Well the other re- thing I came down here to the Emerald Coast Conference with is a F- uh, lecture about management of acute agitation. I'll share that lecture with anybody out there as well if you, know, you share your email. But the exciting thing is, we now have a drug that is uh, for acute agitation, called dexmedetomidine, and it was just released uh, by the approved by the FDA, April sixth, twenty twenty two. Dexmedetomidine is what all my our colleagues out there known as Presidex, Mm -hmm. but this is a sublingual version. And what it does is it calms the agitated patient. It's self-administered, and if you get a person and they're getting agitated or they're escalating. If de-escalation techniques don't work, you just say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, can you please put this little medication under your tongue? It's going to help you relax. And the studies are really quite impressive on the uh, calming effect of the simple intervention of dexmedetomidine uh, sublinked oral. It's an oral drug. Side effects are minimal. We know you're gonna maybe some people are somnolent, or maybe some people get a little, kind of drop their blood pressure, but very rarely. But like any sedative, like um, you're gonna possibly have a little somnolence. Some people may get a headache or nausea or paresthesias of the tongue. Like listerine strips, remember those? They've turned some people's tongues numb. But it's the same type of delivery system. So this bioexcel this company, what they did is they created algorithms to take drugs that have certain effects and say if we give it in a different route, will it have a different profile effect profile so dexmedetomidine iv obviously is going to make you sedate they use it in icu and post op management et cetera. and uh, we also use it for procedural sedation in pediatrics but sub uh, orally this medication knocks the person down in a nice way of calming them and you no know, people don't realize that benzodiazepines aren't really fda approved for sedation for acute psychosis for sedation, yes, but not for psychosis. They're not effective against psychosis. Haldol has some antipsychotic effects, we know that. But instead of giving Haldivan, or you know a combination of Haldol and Ativan, it'd be nice to maybe talk to the person, get them calm enough to say, yeah, I'll take that, try that medicine on my tongue. Because uh, coming at a person with a needle or restraints is, uh, makes it an unpleasant experience. It makes them less likely to come to seek help unless they're really decompensated. And so with a more humane approach, with calming them with a medication an intervention and starting treatment with an antipsychotic or appropriate psych med, um, I think the patient will have a better experience, and I think our emergency departments will have better experiences. By the way, intervening like this with a de-escalation techniques and then maybe a, a nice self-administered oral medication, you're decreasing the risk to staff and nurses, especially nurses, et cetera who get hurt trying to restrain patients and or deliver a parenteral medication.
0: And we see that a fair amount is that and especially with working with EMS, trying to avoid needle sticks. I mean if you got somebody that's either confused, agitated, or all of the above, um, you know, avoiding needles just for the sake of harm to the patient, harm to the um healthcare staff as well. And so, you know, can we do management techniques that don't involve sharp things and uh, restraints, and things that may even escalate them further, you know, when you're talking about restraints.
1: Well, the drug is not called Ilami, and I have to fully disclose. I'm actually on a, a medical advisory board, and I couldn't really discuss the drug. It was known as 501, BioXL 501, but now it's released. The Mali, Mali, Ilami um, is now released. I could talk about it, but also I could talk about the indications, which are for schizophrenia, acute agitation for schizophrenia, and acute agitation from bipolar disorder. But it's also public knowledge now that they have a a third trial going on now with um, Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. and dementia. So we all have those agitated patients. So if you're interested in getting involved in that kind of trial, so if you're one of those champions or I lit a spark out there that you're interested in doing some research in this area, contact me and I'll put you in touch with the research teams. If you have ideas, like you just said EMS, pre-hospital. I can't say who I discussed it with, but I think that would be a novel and appropriate use of such a drug, right? Like you just said, avoiding parenteral administration of drugs and I know that your EMS world out there is quite vast and hopefully somebody out there hello EMS world may want to contact me so we can get you in touch with the right people and maybe set up a project. That
0: sounds good. appreciate it. You've stayed busy down here golf conversations good food Oh, it's always, always good, good seeing
1: friends. ryan just keep it up man just uh, keep up what you're doing communication is key getting the knowledge out i love the fact you have a huge following and it's a privilege to be able to talk to you and them
0: well i appreciate it and uh, as for everybody else out there listening thank you for tuning in and you know continue to spread the word share the podcast we're hoping to hit uh, hit that 400,000 download uh, for 2022 uh, continued jumps of about 15 to 20 percent each year so Uh, We appreciate that, and and all of you who tune in regularly and and share it with friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, or or people who just uh, have medical stuff in the background uh, for whatever reason. So uh, for me, you can contact me, rstantonatasap.org, rstanton at EverydayMed on Twitter. And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASEP Frontline.
1: If you're not on the front lines, you're on the sidelines.